welcome to episode 33 of the Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined by Akash. Akash, welcome back. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, man? We are fully entrenched in talking about rookie quarterback prospects. Exciting times. It is. And there's a reason for that, because last time we spoke, the 49ers were selecting at number 12. Since then, they have made a move that will alter their franchise, and that was probably the biggest trade in the history of the organization. So the 49ers are now selecting number three overall. So when they announced that the press conference was happening, instant like instantly i was like something has to happen like something something be, something's yeah. going to be going on because they're not just speaking at the end of free agency to, to talk about bringing back k1 williams and trent williams um that something is going to go down and sure enough uh a move up to everybody presumably thinks a quarterback um alabama and ohio state held their pro days on tuesday the 49ers sent Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch to their pro day. And then Adam Peters also went to Ohio State's pro day. But before we get there, let's talk about the press conference because the press conference was the first time that both Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had spoken since January 3rd, I believe it was. Yeah. So, Akash, what stood out to you? And let's start with the current starting quarterback. Yeah, the first thing that stood out was Kyle Shanahan looked like he dyed his hair. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the Cabo Sun does that to you, but yeah, he looked he looked rejuvenated. I think both him and John Lynch they looked excited about the fact that they made this aggressive move to get up to pick number three uh, to go get a franchise quarterback, and you know it's exciting times. Uh, it's an aggressive move. I think you and I applaud them for doing it. Uh, I have no idea if it'll work out, right? Because you're taking a quarterback prospect, and at the end of the day. As much as we talk about these guys, and no matter how good we think they are, it may not pan out for whatever reason. So uh, it's aggressive, and we won't know if it'll work out till you know until we get to the future. But uh, yeah, definitely applaud them for it. And you know, the biggest takeaway from the press conference is they really, really tried to push home the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starting quarterback next season, and that this rookie quarterback was just Plan B, and it was a future thing, and. I don't know how many times they said it and how many questions were asked about it, but that seemed every to be time, the actually. theme every time. And uh, it, you know, but at the same time, they added the little caveat where it was like, unless we get an offer that just blows us away, but who knows what blowing us away really means, right? It's just such a relative term. Kyle Shanahan even went as far to say, hey, I'd trade me if there was an offer that would just blow the team away. So. Uh, they've set themselves up where, you know, if they don't get an offer or if they can't find, you know, a bridge quarterback, whatever, they just roll it back with Jimmy and they would just say, okay, here, we said it. And that's what we're doing. Uh, they could trade Jimmy Garoppolo between any time between now and the season and then say, Hey, we got an offer that blew us away. It just made too much sense. So they've kind of set the table up for both of these things. And that's what they've always done. They've been honest, but they always leave like these outs which allow them to make these moves and after the fact, just be like, Hey, we were upfront about it. So um, it's not like we didn't tell you it was coming. So yeah, that was my biggest takeaway um, aside from all the free agent moves. And um, you know, Kyle Shanahan said, it, and John Lynch maybe said it as much. They were surprised that they got all these guys back. Um, and we were too, honestly, right. The markets changed for some of these players because of the lower salary cap. And, you know, they got Williams and Tard and, and all these guys resigned that we didn't think, that they would. So it gave them the flexibility to go up, go up and make this move. Yeah. Lynch was actually asked 
did the restructure of D Ford was that factored into, you know, the salary cap for bringing back Jimmy G and the number three overall pick as he does. John Lynch sidestepped the question about uh, Jimmy and then went straight to D Ford. The hints are right in front of us. What's about to happen to me. Lynch is an elite salesman. Like he is as good as he it gets. So good. Yeah. Every time he mentioned Jimmy's name, he would follow that up with, like, he's going to be back. We have so much confidence in him. He's our star. Like, something along untapped those lines potential. where, yeah, untapped potential for a 30-year-old quarterback. Yeah. Well, what are we saying right now? But, you know, there are people that are going to take that and run with it. And, I mean, it can just be driving up his trade value, whatever it may be, whether that's this year, in August, you know, right now. Who who knows? Who knows? So, um, yeah, that, that was my takeaway when just speaking – them to speaking about Jimmy Garoppolo was – um, Lynch is an elite salesperson, and they did, as you said, set a table for an out because they. When that happens, we all know that they're going to move on from Jimmy because they're drafting number three overall. Yeah. I don't know why this is so difficult to understand. I don't know why. Also, we can't just talk about this because they're again the clues are right in front of our face. I'm um, speaking of quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins was asked, and Kyle Shanahan loves him. There is no doubt about that. I think he really just admires Kirk's yes. consistency. That's what that was my takeaway that of that. But he's also it kind of feels like he's tired of being labeled as that mold and that you know just being labeled with that Kirk Cousins type of quarterback because Matt Ryan's Kirk Cousins, Jimmy G, you know um, Hoyer, the Hoyers of the world. Yeah. So how do how do you feel about that? And and my my follow up question that would be. Do you think also this could be a hint at who he is going to pick? So he's not categorized with those those type of quarterbacks. Yeah. So I think the question was asked, hey, is like Kirk Cousins your prototypical like archetype of at quarterback or something like that? And Kyle Shanahan just looked frustrated. He was just he I felt like he was just about to be like, no, he's not, and just like kind of yell. But you know, he he stepped back and he just calmly answered. And yes, he complimented Kirk Cousins. He said you could win with that type of quarterback. And, and I know we're talking about Kirk Cousins, but really it's like, you know, Cousins, Garoppolo, Carr, Tannehill, uh, Goff, you know, these middling type quarterbacks that don't have elite physical traits, um, but are starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And, you know, if you have good offensive coaches and good teams around them, you can win. And I think Kyle kind of said as much, but he also said, if you could draw it up, you want the biggest, fastest, strongest quarterback that can play from the pocket and be accurate and make all the throws. And that that's what he said. And and I thought he really made a point to emphasize we took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, right? They're picking number three. They're not talking we're not talking about picking a Just quarterback. It's an awful comparison, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. And he was like, Yeah, I, I wanted to bring Kirk Cousins here in free agency, uh, because he just a winner, respects him, whatever. But it's clear that now that they're drafting at the at the top of the draft, that I I think they're looking for you know, a prospect that has all the physical tools um, and it's just kind of the best prospect at the position, not necessarily who compares most to like Kirk Cousins or his, his prototypical quarterback. It's, it's just kind of the vibe I got. And it sounded like he was just annoyed and he wants to break this mold because everyone in the media, when they say who's a Kyle Shanahan quarterback, it's like, yep, Kirk Cousins, you know, the slower uh, quarterback that's not as physically gifted that can just like sit there and be a processor, you know, Nick Mullins, you know, this type guy. And Kyle's like, I'm, I don't want to be attached with these guys. I want like a big, fast, strong quarterback that can, you know, elevate my offense as well. And that's kind of, that was kind of my takeaway. 
Um, but but what did you think when he said that? Yeah, no, he came out and said, I think it's ridiculous to say that. Basically, when when he was asked about him being partnered with or him being just linked <laughs> forever and ever with Kirk Cousins. So he did say, if you had it your way, you would draw it up like this. Yeah. That this, quote unquote, is what you get at the number three overall pick, which yeah. is probably why it's not going to be Mac Jones. Like He gets to get this moldable QB who is still young. Like Trey Lance is 20, Justin Fields is 22, I believe. So these aren't yep. far from finished products. So, yeah, I think that alone would be why, you know, just yet another reason why we could, I don't want to say rule them out, but it, it's probably going to be one of the more talented uh, quarterbacks in a draft. So for those that don't know, Kirk Cousins was one in three under Kyle Shanahan. He had, he threw eight touchdowns. He had 10 interceptions. Uh, he did not win. He was not great under him. And his AYA was 5.1. So that is not somebody that Kyle Ooh. wants to be tied to, I imagine. And again, he now has a chance at number three overall to kind of reshape the thought process of a Kyle Shanahan quarterback. And you you have to – you can't tell me that he's not tired of being associated with these, you know, middling quarterbacks. I, I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan is a good quarterback, but for the most part, that's what he's associated with. Also – Losing Super Bowls. Like he has to be tired of this and knowing that yeah. he's in a chance to get a moldable QB who can actually make him look good for once and put him over the top. That's why, you know, all well, signs for me point to that. Go ahead. Here's my other thing. We talk about, for some reason, this gets lost. We talk about the prototypical Shanahan quarterback as like a Kirk Cousins type, yet his dad, Mike Shanahan, won two Super Bowls with John Elway. Well, what did John Elway have? Had a cannon, uh, was this big physical guy. And then the other guy he that he took move. in Denver. And he could move, yeah. He was this mobile guy. And then the other guy was Jay Cutler in Denver, right? So these two guys don't have also, much in athlete. common. Yeah. These these two guys don't have much in common with a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Kirk Cousins or a Nick Mullins or anything like that. So I don't know why we continue to pigeonhole Kyle into thinking, okay, this is his type of quarterback when he's never really picked this high in the draft, right? He's never really had you know, this type of a choice to make. And it just seems weird to me that we continue to just put him in this box. Uh, and then the other thing I, th- I I keep thinking back to is he looks around at his guys in the league, right? Um, my, Matt LaFleur, yeah, the Packers coach, Aaron Rodgers, kicking ass. He won an MVP. Then the other guy, Sean McVay, said, I don't want Jared Goff anymore. Now has Matt Stafford. And he's thinking, am I going to be really stuck with a middling quarterback? Like, I, I also need one of these guys to be able to elevate my offense. So I'm sure that plays a role in it, too. And and that's why I continue to think that it can't be Mac Jones. But like you said, I wouldn't rule it out. But I, I just I just can't see that. So Kyle Shanahan said that there are five QBs that he is considering. He always says considering when speaking about Mac Jones. He did that to Ian Rappaport again on Tuesday. Rap Sheet was on NFL Network and said that. So people are so frustrated at the thought of getting Mac Jones. I think it's understand to important. Mac Jones is a good quarterback. Mac Jones is, is probably not somebody that Kyle Shanahan is going to trade up for. I'm sure if he was available at 12, he would have loved to have Mac Jones. But... He's not now he's in a situation where he can get better than Mac Jones. And I think that's part of the problem. That's part of the conversation that is being missed out. So sure, like Chris Sims is is, you know, gassing up Mac Jones to be this all world everything quarterback. And even most of the media is. And that is because the NFL is higher on them than Mac than Mac Jones, than most of you know us. I think Mac Jones deserves to go in the first round. I imagine why a team would take him. 
But again, the 49ers are in a position where it's not just Mac Jones anymore. So the conversation shifts and the conversation has shifted. So pro days, that was a thing. Kyle Shanahan said he did not, you know, he won't be able to see Justin Fields throw. And he said, I expect him to throw well and run really fast. And sure enough, Justin Fields did that. Mac Jones is who Kyle Shanahan did see. As we mentioned, John Lynch was there as well. It seemed like everybody was at Alabama's because we saw the two being just in screenshots with everybody. The faces um, from Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan about Mac Jones, just missing a couple of throws. I don't think it means that much, but it's it's great no. to just, you know, over-criticize it because that's what people do. Um, Mac Jones, yeah. I thought he, he was fine. I thought he, he was – he just looked like a quarterback who – Maybe he was just trying to overcompensate for his arm. That happens. Yep. You know, he's he's not going to be known as this guy who has a rocket launcher on the on his right arm. But what what was your takeaway from Mac Jones' pro day? Second pro day, that is. Second, second pro day. So I, I watched both of his throwing sessions. I thought he was fine. I mean, he hits some throws. Uh, they I think they really try to emphasize the fact that he could hit throws on the move so that he's not just this, like, statue in the pocket. And I thought he made plays at different levels of the field. Uh, I think today you hit the nail on the head. He was trying to really prove that he had a rocket launcher. And as a result, he was overthrowing some of his receivers. But I didn't think it was awful by any of the means. I, I do like Mac Jones. I watched like three games. Uh, I thought, you know, he's accurate at different levels of the field. I think he's like a good distributor of the ball to all his receivers. I just think in this quarterback class, he's at a disadvantage because he's going up against, you know, more physically gifted players. And at the top of the first round in the top five picks, you would prefer one of those guys. But maybe in a different class that's not as talented, Mac Jones would be, you know, viewed as like a top five prospect. Just in this class, he's I wouldn't think of him in that light. There are a lot of really, really, really talented quarterbacks yeah. in this class, and that is not always the case. So I could see Mac Jones being viewed as a better quarterback than say like a Daniel Jones coming out. But right. in this scenario, there are guys that just deserve to go that high. This is a Justin Fields episode just because we are going to go down each quarterback. So I want to make that very clear. Just because we are talking about Justin Fields a lot doesn't mean he will be the only quarterback that we speak about. So next week, we do have a special guest, 49ers legend, J.T. O'Sullivan. And we're going to talk about Zach Wilson. But today, we're talking about Fields because he had his pro day. As I mentioned, 4-4-3, 40-yard dash. Um even if fastest. you want to adjust for a hand time, adjust <laughs> for a hand time. That is very fast for a 227-pound man. Yeah. That is just it does not matter what position he plays. I don't know we, why we have to qualify that. A 4-4-3 for a human being is fast, and we should acknowledge that. He also threw the ball very, very well. Um, every, if you've watched Justin Fields, you know he has a hose. You know he's fast. Um, there are so many just – Clues in his tape, again, that he knows where to go with the ball, that he is not just a one-read quarterback. He actually did mention that today. But um, what, what was your take about that? And, and actually, I do want to bring up the, the one-read part because Fields actually spoke after his pro day and was asked about that. And he just mentioned how Ohio State, at Ohio State, we have really good receivers. We have some of the best receivers in the country. So if my first read is open, I'm probably going to stick on them a little bit longer. So it sounds like he just understands the you know where to go with the football and also mismatches because in the NFL, in Kyle Shanahan's offense specifically, he will set his receiver up with mismatches. And 
Um, I don't think he needs to prove anything. It's just a, you know, a typical scout comment, but yeah, he's, he looked like a baller. He looked next level today and poor Mac Jones, man, he had to follow Justin Fields. And, and that's probably why everybody was like, well, Mac Jones isn't this guy. But when you see those guys go back to back, it's pretty clear who the, uh, who you would take over number three. Yeah. So Justin Fields, we'll start with a 40 time at four, four, three. And I think you were the first person that might've like tipped me off to this that, Hey man, he's going to run like a sub four, four or like, you know, four, four, five, whatever. Uh, Cause you had just seen a couple of clips on tape where he's like, I think there's the one clip where he's like running alongside the running back down the field and you might've outran Trey Sermon. Right. And so I think the one thing that people misunderstand about Justin Fields is that they see the 4-4 speed and they think, ah, he's going to be like Lamar Jackson. He's going to look to run. He's going to be this like run-first quarterback that doesn't like staying in the pocket too long. But I feel like it's actually the opposite with Justin Fields from what I've seen. He almost stays in the pocket too long because he trusts his arm, his you know uh, accuracy to a fault almost. He fit, he, I think he thinks that he can put it in these tight windows or wait for his receivers to get open. When sometimes I'm like, hey, man, use your athleticism and you know make plays with your feet sometimes. I, I almost think it's like the opposite side. And I feel like people who don't like watch a lot of film of Justin Fields, they just look at kind of his measurables and, again, put him into a box and just say, okay, he's this one-read quarterback that's just going to like take off when his first read isn't there because he's got this 4-4. Uh, you know, second 40-yard dash, got this athleticism, whatever. But I actually don't think that's the case. So if I was, you know, Kyle Shanahan, I'd be really comfortable with Justin Fields because just like he said yesterday, I need my quarterback to be able to make all the throws from the pocket. Uh, you know, if he extends the play, makes plays from outside the pocket, great. But that's like kind of the priority and that's how you win in the league. And I think Justin Fields does that, I think, more than the other three quarterbacks that are in the conversation. And it seems to be missed for some reason with just the media and people in the NFL. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know if you well, see that when you watch Fields. Yeah, no, and I agree with a lot of what you said. And just speaking about the media, it seems like we will take somebody else's opinion who is, you know, viewed as up here, is viewed as a, a, a top-tier analysis. And because they are on that pedestal, we will take their word without forming our own opinion. And that's just what's the issue in the football community in general, because nobody forms their own opinion. If you were to watch somebody and I were to watch somebody, we are going to have a different opinion event. Like that's just how this yeah. works. It's human, uh, just common sense. So um, I think that's where a lot of the fields conversation stems from. And you just read random quotes about people and then are from scouts. Um, yeah. Well, not when I watch fields, well, first off go to NinersNation.com because I wrote all about, it all was the fantastic. top quarterbacks. Yeah. And Justin really Fields, good. I think, is closer to Trevor Lawrence than a lot of people believe. I and agree. we have to talk about ceiling. We have to talk about talent. And that's where it starts because he can do things that nobody else in this class can do. So right there, you're going to start him at the top. His arm strength, very, very good. His accuracy, probably better than his, his arm tops. strength, which is saying something. Like yeah. he's he's up there. And I um when we talk about pocket presence, when we talk about evading free rushers, I think the reason that he will be so successful if he does go to the 49ers is because every play has a chance with him. And you cannot say that about many quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, he actually was – so Bill Connolly from Football Outsiders, he ranked the quarterbacks, or he had just some stats that he dropped 
the opponent average defense um, S&P ranking, which is essentially DVOA. Yeah, so Justin Fields was far and away played the toughest schedule, 24.6. Mac Jones, 37.8. Trevor Lawrence, 45.3. Zach Wilson, 63.3. So he is playing at the highest, you know, just the best, adding the most against the top competition. I feel like competition matters. Like that has to matter when talking about these guys because we are projecting these guys to the best athletes in the world. So to see Justin Fields do what he did against Clemson, that matters more. To see what he did against Alabama with broken ribs, that has to matter. So I mentioned his accuracy. I mentioned his arm. Um, Obviously, under Kyle Shannon, he can use him as, as a designed runner. He could also just use the illusion, have the illusion of Justin Fields running, and that'll just open up seams for the running yeah. backs. I just feel like he'd add a lot to the offense. He He's a home run hitter, and I'll keep going back to that. The 49ers would have so many more big plays because they could call more big plays. He opens up the offense just in so many different ways, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that with Deontay coming up because he is the guy who watched Justin Fields for the past few years but i want to get some of your opinions on fields before we do that what is one reason why he is worth the number three overall pick when you're at the top of the nfl draft in the top five and you're picking a quarterback obviously there's no guarantee with any of these guys you you look at any year and you evaluate all these guys the likelihood is that some of these guys are going to bust some of these guys are going to be really good and some of these guys are just going to be middling right it, it that's just what history tells us so the right. likelihood that all five of these guys are going to be good is going to be slim to none. But Akash is not a hater for saying that. I want to make that very clear. That is just how the game works. Sorry yeah. to interject as you were. No. And I think this is a really unique situation because usually at the top of the draft, you get a team that doesn't have as good of a roster, maybe has a new coach in front office or is a team that's kind of in turmoil. And that puts, you know, for these rookie quarterbacks who are 20, 21, 22, you know, developing in this type of an environment usually doesn't, you know, lead to success. Whereas this is unique because the 49ers, I think, just have a really well put together roster. They have one of the best offensive coaches in the league and, you know, just a stable structure for this rookie quarterback to be able to develop in whoever they take. That's why I, I think whenever you talk about any of these five guys, I think they would have more success with the 49ers than they would with any of the other teams that they would be drafted to that are in the conversation, Jaguars, Jets, whatever. But if you're San Francisco and you're looking at these guys, I think um, physical traits and just elite physical tools like God-given ability, that's stuff that can be coached, right? Kyle Shanahan can coach scheme. He can call plays. He can tell you. He can work on like the mental aspect of the game. But what you have in your arm you know, your ability to move around, your strength, that's just thats just who you are, right? It can't be like added later down the line. So that's what I think you look for. And I think you said it best. And uh, maybe Eric Crocker said it right before the Clemson-Ohio um, State game that Justin Fields, just pure talent and tools might be as good as Trevor Lawrence's. And I think I agree. I mean, I think it's far and away better than Zach Wilson or Mac Jones, uh, who are also kind of in this conversation. And you combine that with the fact that he's been at Ohio State, has played the you know best defenses, uh, you know better defenses than the other quarterbacks. So you know competition is there. Played for about two seasons. Obviously, this season was shorter than due to Corona, but he's got two full seasons on tape. Um, and you know just his accuracy, his ability to make throws at all levels of the field, 
uh, evade pressure, like you said. And then you look at his kind of intangibles, right? His toughness. I mean, the shots that he took in that Clemson game, I mean, Dabo Sweeney and his defensive coordinator brought the heat all game long, broken ribs, and came back, was throwing dimes. And then he came back again in the Alabama game with broken ribs. And I thought he, he played okay in that game. Uh, I think the bigger reason why they lost is they just couldn't stop Alabama's offense. But just his toughness. QB wins. Yeah, which I think Kyle Shanahan really values because some of the quarterbacks he's had are extremely tough. And I think Kyle Shanahan would really appreciate that. And just his leadership, you know, we talked about this before we hit record. I've heard he's just more of a calm, not necessarily like a vocal rah-rah guy, but is, like you said, a silent assassin type leader. Uh, He was a big reason why Big Ten football came back, which is huge, kind of rally the troops, that type thing. That stuff matters when it comes to this conversation. And you just put all these pieces together, and I, I just think it makes the most sense at pick number three. And I think we'll look back and... We'll think, man, how did these guys let Justin Fields get to the 49ers is how we will talk about this in a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I think to add to what you were saying, he's always been good. Like he was one of the highest rated quarterbacks to come out of high school. He just so happened to be in the same class as Trevor Lawrence. And that is the same case again. Um, And every year in the NFL, there are quarterbacks who have these late rise, you know, come out of nowhere. It was Kyler and... I mean, it happens every year. Kyler did it kind of, but this year it's Zach Wilson, and now he is going to jump fields, it would appear, because, I mean, the, his dad was hanging month. out yeah. with Robert Sala at the at a BYU's Pro Day. So, I mean, everybody knows. Everybody's connecting the dots there. That leaves Fields, who, again, one of the best quarterbacks out of high school, continue that in Ohio, at Ohio State, played at a very high level against the best competition um, he just time and time again. And then you have the tools, the elite tools, which like, everything he described, everything Kyle Shanahan described at the pro day was essentially Justin Fields. Yeah. So when you, when you talk about intangibles as well, uh, you talk about leadership, when you talk about toughness matters, big being able to play in a game through broken ribs against Alabama, he's not playing a cupcake team. I feel like right. all the signs point to that. What were you going to add? I was just going to say, and a lot of people say, hey, I'd be okay with Fields or Wilson or Fields or Lance. And they just kind of group these guys because they're mobile quarterbacks or they've got big arms or whatever. And I I don't view it like that. I think Justin Fields, to me, stands head and shoulders above kind of the rest of the class, uh, you know, outside of Trevor Lawrence. And you you just watch him and you watch him both in 2019 and 2020. He's in these big games, constant you know national attention being at Ohio State and you can say oh he had a great team whatever he's playing these great defenses and consistently was winning was playing well and I I just I just don't understand the conversation around him because he seems to be the least mentioned quarterback tied to the 49ers because it seems like everyone is like Mac Jones or Trey Lance seems like the natural fit and I just don't get it is it because they run more like bootlegs is it because they run more play action is it just because you see concepts that Kyle Shanahan runs with those teams? Like I don't, I don't see why people don't think Justin Fields is a fit, especially because they say Justin Fields would be good in Atlanta and Arthur Smith, Kyle Shanahan run similar type yeah. of schemes. And so I, I just don't understand why people don't connect the dots from like a national perspective, right? It seems like 49ers Twitter at least really likes the idea of Justin Fields. Yeah. So 
it seems like 49ers Twitter is trying, doing everything they can to Willing speak it. it into existence. So, uh, yep. so far, so good. Uh, keep that up if that's who you want. I, I don't think I would matter or I would care, you know, who it is. Obviously, I feel, I feel like Fields is their best option, but it would be very tough for them to screw this pick up. So, which means, dun, 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 dun. They're going to screw it up. (laughs) Okay. Before we kick it to Deontay, why is Fields not the option? Like, what would be a reason that Fields does not work out in San Francisco? Yeah. Um, It's it's hard to come up with with a reason here. And you obviously don't want to make it seem like you're projecting this player to be a bust. Because I, I don't think Justin sure. Fields is going to be that, right? You have to play devil, devil's advocate. You have to play devil's advocate. You have to try to look at this from like an unbiased stand, standpoint. And one of the things I feel like that's been widely kind of thrown out, and it's visible from time to time, is just maybe he's like a tick too late with the ball sometimes. And it was kind of what I was getting at earlier. Sometimes you'd wish that he would evade. You know, he evades pressure in terms of he'll stay in the pocket and he'll sidestep it or he'll see pressure coming and he's good about feeling it in the pocket. But sometimes you're just like, man, you can get outside the pocket and run and create uh, or get rid of the ball a touch touch sooner. And I know that's kind of a product of Ohio State's offense. And I think Daniel Jeremiah kind of hit on like the read routes between, you know, the receivers and having that sort of communication with the quarterback post snap. Um, But that would kind of be my biggest knock is like, okay, how does that translate? to the NFL and you know, how will Justin Fields adapt to a Kyle Shanahan system? I personally don't think he'd have a problem, but if he, you know, was to quote unquote fail or not hit his ceiling, I think that would be the reason why I don't think his intangible or, you know, his accuracy, like that type of thing would cause him to fail or his mechanics or uh, any of the intangible stuff. I don't think would be the reason because it doesn't seem like he's, Everything I hear, he's like a high character guy, loves football, great leader. Like So that's why it, it seems like, you know, I have a hard time not seeing him succeed. But yeah, what would so, you think would be the reason? Well, people do bring up, you know, the turnovers. They bring up Indiana. They bring up Northwestern. So I would counter that with you want to see a quarterback go through adversity. Like you want to see them down, quote unquote, down in the dumps and to see how they get out of it, see how they bounce back from it. And we saw him go from Northwestern, Indiana, whatever it may be, to these last couple games. And he just went complete superhero mode. And that's another thing with some of these turnovers. All he needs to do is understand, hey, man, we get it. You're already a monster. You don't have to be a superhero every play. Sometimes it's okay to just throw the ball away. Sometimes a sack, man, it happens. Who cares? But we can't have you, you know, just because a guy has you wrapped up because that was an interception. I remember somebody had him wrapped up and he still tried to throw it across his body because he has such a strong arm where he's probably been able to get away with that at times against lesser teams or against lesser competition where now we just need to be you, man. If you are you, the, you know, we will be very good, and that's all we need from you. So uh, that is the type of coaching that I imagine he's going to get. I imagine also going from a Ryan Day offense to a Kyle Shanahan offense will be a lot more friendlier as well because Agreed. that offense and that offensive line did him no favors. We did get this far without mentioning Ohio State's offensive line. Um, let's just say they make the 49ers offensive line look like five all pros. Uh, I agree with that. that yeah. We are going to take a break and we are going to kick it to Deontay. Welcome back. We have a special guest to help us break down Justin Fields. I am joined by Deontay, Deontay Lee. 
Deontay, could you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, where you came from, all that jazz before we get into fields? Absolutely. So born and raised in San Diego, California. So I'm a Southern California boy. Um, went to school at Sacramento State, played football there. So that's kind of, you know, where my football background really kind of starts or stems from as it relates to my work in media. Walked away from football while I was in college. Um, linked up with a few good people on social media, yourself, uh, Justice Mosqueda, Charles McDonald, um, all the people who were, you know, kind of at the forefront of the draft, NFL, Twitter stuff. Um, and they kind of, you know, all of you guys really pushed me to get into writing. So from there, I had my own little blog, uh, the Post Corner um, coverage check, which I did on WordPress. I worked for Inside the Pylon for about a year and a half, did some work for Fansided. And now I am um, working as a freelancer with PFF. Um, and I also do work with uh, Cleveland.com covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. Which is why you are on here. And first off, you still don't write enough. We need more content out of you. So um, more, more, more. And I'm going to stay on your ass until you do that. Um, as you should. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. So you said you covered Ohio State. And you're a defensive guy, but that has nothing to do with it because you covered the team itself. So before we get into it, I want you to say or to give us an idea of the type of growth you saw in Justin Fields from 2019 to 2020. I think that really it's and it's funny that I'm going to say this because it's so anti-narrative, but actually his ability to process what he's seeing from a defense and make decisions has gotten so much better between 19 and 20. Um so that is one thing I would definitely warn people who are trying to get into understanding maybe what kind of quarterbacks uh, their team might be interested in or kind of how the rankings are um, shaking out right now. His best growth came as a decision maker, um, whether it's getting to his check downs um, or hitting tight ends coming across the middle of the field, being able to recognize when teams are spinning the single high and taking his matchups on the outside. Um, and there are also a lot of mitigating factors within the way that that offense is run. It's not like your typical college football offense. They do some different things um, that I'm sure we'll get into. But that's definitely by far his biggest growth is as a decision maker. Yeah, you will see him nowhere to go with the ball every time. And I feel like that in a quarterback, just remove all of his physical tools. If you have that type of prospect who knows where to go with the football, that just screams superstar to me. And obviously, you know, you have the tools and whatnot, but man, just he's such a smart guy. He's such a like he just sees what the defense is doing. You you mentioned how, you know, the safeties are rotating down. He knows where Chris Olave is every time. He knows where Garrett Wilson is every time. He's going to take advantage of that matchup. So that is something to get excited with. And you talked a little bit about the scheme. Why does Ryan Day hate having hot receivers? Like, why is this <laughs> such an issue? Because you, if you just only watch Ohio State's red zone clips, they are running five, four and five receivers beyond 10 to 15 yards, and there's nowhere for him to check the ball down to. So if, let's say, for instance, they're an empty, which Ohio State tends to do, and the quarterback is hot, the, uh, the defense brings five or six, and now Fields is left by himself with nowhere to go to the ball, and he makes a play, but th there's just so much commentary about, you know, Fields doing this, Fields doing that, where I'm looking at it like, what do you want him to do in this situation? Uh, go ahead and speak on that. So it's actually funny 
he's becoming a different play caller as a head coach than he ever was as an offensive coordinator. So when it was Urban Meyer at the helm and he was the guy calling the offense, you saw a lot more of like the shallow crossers, your mesh concepts, um, slants and things like that, where the ball could get out of quarterback's hands more quickly. So I don't know if that's, you know, just a hubris thing. He has an NFL caliber quarterback and two NFL caliber wide receivers. So he's always trying to push the ball downfield. But that is a big piece of their offense, and it does put a lot on the quarterback's shoulders. You know, if you go and watch, anytime you have, like, uh, the broadcast, if you go away from the broadcast angle, excuse me, and go to end zone or the big sideline, um, all 22 angles, you will see, as you said, everybody's working in that 12 to 18-yard range. You got your deep digs, your big posts, um, you know, these deeper curls and comebacks and things like that. And I don't know if that's just a lack of trust for his tight ends. Like they played a ton of 12 personnel and would run like a lot of seven man protections where you're only getting three guys out in the route. And that does put a lot on the quarterback shoulders to extend plays and have to force the ball into tight windows, especially with the way that teams are defending them. You know, Ohio State is going to have an athletic advantage against most of the teams that they play. So most of the defenses they get are soft zone coverages where they're just trying to layer defenders in the same range where they're trying to throw the football. So it puts a lot on Fields' shoulders to have to look guys off and fit the ball into some tighter windows. So, you know, when you're looking at games where maybe you see some ugly interceptions, could he be better in some of those situations? Absolutely. I, I won't take away from that. But it's not an issue of he's stuck on his first read or he doesn't know how to progress through different concepts. It's more the fact of there's only so much that he can do within the offense, you know, without having to take off and use his legs. And if there's one thing I would actually say that I want to see more from him, it's using his legs to extend plays and pick up some easy yards, be his own check down, so to speak. Yeah, no, I agree with that because I was going to say the next the next question was too much hero ball in a sense that he's back there. He's holding on to the ball. He's taking sacks that he has no business taking when he could easily just run for it doesn't have to be 20 yards. Everything doesn't have to be a home run play, but he could just turn these sacks into five, four, six yard gains. And that is a positive play for the offense. And uh, just going back to the progression part, I, I thought about putting together a video of him just throwing moon balls when he's just going from one to two and sometimes three. And these are 50-yard throws down the field. So the progression thing is the silliest, uh, the silliest comment ever. But that's just that just tells you, you know, black quarterback cannot read the field. And that's essentially what it is. So uh, speaking of all of this, why is he so polarizing? Like, why is there so much resistance to an obviously good player? I mean, I think it really just comes back to people not being able to contextualize evaluating a player within the environment that he's in. You know, um, I think especially when we start talking about guys going from college to the NFL, we have all been conditioned a certain way of watching quarterbacks play in the NFL, especially because we see so much soft coverage in the league. People are conditioned to think every check down is just a good completion, no matter what. So, you know, we want to see the dink and dunk. Hey, get the ball to the shallow crosser, get the ball to the running back, get the ball to the tight end in the middle of the field, take your six or seven yards. College offenses don't operate with that same kind of calculus. You know, like for as much criticism, I think we both share for the way that Ryan Day runs his offense. I think I get it. You know, Chris Olave runs a 4-3 and I think Garrett Wilson will as well. You know, if you got two burners like that and big tight ends, I can completely understand saying, hey, we're going to play with base personnel. We're going to try to smash you in the run game and then just throw the ball over your head as as often as we can. So I get that. Um, 
we're going to have the same trouble the more that like the RPO game continues to expand in the college game, trying to project guys. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily exclusive to fields. I think that he gets a harder hit because of his skin tone. Um, and because of the offense that he plays in, you know, I, I think it's been unfair from the beginning, the way that we've talked about him in terms of, you know, his ability to progress through an offense, through a concept, um, his ability to read defenses. I mean, you can go and look at the numbers. The way that he started off the year, he was throwing like, you know, 25 or 27 for four or five yeah. touchdowns. You know, he had more incompletions or he had more like, yeah, more incompletions than he had interception, more touchdowns and incompletions. So we're not talking about an incapable quarterback. You know, I, I want to make sure that that stays out front because the the volume on that is only going to get louder and louder in pro day season. Now that Zach Wilson has had his day and all the cameras are on him, um, you know, everybody is getting all enamored with this San Francisco thing with trading up. And, you know, what is this Mac Jones heat that we're hearing and things like that? And I want to make sure that people remember from the time he graduated from high school until now, it has been a two person race. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And in my mind, that has not changed at any point in their collegiate career. Yeah, we're talking about two of the most decorated quarterbacks probably in the last seven to decade. Like these guys have been good for a long, long time and have not wavered at all in that sense. So uh, you talked about RPOs. Uh, Fields was putting up video game numbers in Ryan Day's offense. He wasn't running what Mac Jones was doing. And you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he wasn't exactly running the most uh, NFL offense, and that right. doesn't ever get brought up either. But, I mean, we don't have to go down that tangent. But the point remains that Fields was doing, quote-unquote, NFL concepts. Like, he was throwing the ball down the field. Um, he was going from one side to the other. He was reading a flat defender and picking – like, those are the things that he's going to have to do in the NFL. But for whatever reason, because he's not throwing to wide open wideouts, um, that, you know, he's not getting that same type of – uh, love that the other guys are so as a defensive guy how would you stop fields like what are you going to do to make sure fields gets off the field really if you're looking for a book on quote unquote a book on how to defend fields or make it difficult for fields it would probably have to be something in between what Clemson did in the second half of that semifinal game um, where you kind of get into maybe like some odd front some dime package stuff and you just start sending pressure from a thousand different directions or you do what Indiana did, which is kind of on the polar opposite end. So they also played with nickel and dime, and they just played a bunch of soft coverage, right? And you dare him to have to use his legs in order to beat you. Um, you know, when Clemson played them in the rematch and tried to play a little bit more base coverage with regular four down rushers and playing soft and playing, you know, kind of harder zone coverage where you're pressing up on receivers, don't really work like that, you know? He, he will punish you for that. He has the arm strength. I mean, we saw him play through an injury, you know, and uncorking 65-yard bombs. And not just an injury. Like, his ribs were broken. That's not exactly. just your yeah, yeah, injury. Yeah, we're clear on that. They said they were bruised. I saw I saw how that helmet hit, hit his yes. side. So those ribs were a little bit more than bruised. And he was able to power through and still have velocity on his throws. So the only way, really, that I see – him struggling is just doing what most teams did to try to defend Ohio state, which is just trying to layer these deeper zones with as many defenders as possible and tell him you're either going to beat us with your legs or you're going to have to have perfect throws. Um, other than that though, I mean, he's got the tools to be able to beat you out on the sideline. He's got the timing anticipation and arm strength to beat you over the middle of the field as well. And he knows where he wants to go with the football. 
Um, like I said, the only thing I want to see him develop more is something that the Ohio State offense doesn't do a ton of, and that's having these shallow options for him to dump the ball off. And I don't think that's going to be any problem for him in the pros once it's presented to him as an option. Yeah, so uh, the, here's the thing about Kyle Shanahan's offense. That is not going to be an issue. Um, and just think about what he was asked to do at Ohio State. So let's say uh, 10% of his throws came on rollouts, and so you have the sprint out game now with Shanahan's offense. You have mesh with Shanahan's offense. You have So he was throwing speed outs to the far field, like 10 to 12 yards, as the receiver's coming out of his break. So well before he's supposed to throw the ball, or essentially on time, uh, that just should – Put a put to bed all of the anticipation questions, and then you want to talk about his physical tools, uncorking sixty yard throws as if it's nothing and not on his first read, and and we're talking like flick of the wrist, right. and most of these are hitting these dudes in stride, and then as far as you know the, the deep intermediate crossing routes, and and I mentioned the far field out routes, but even on the comebacks, he's hitting these guys in the face mask. He's hitting these guys in the numbers, man. Like there's, there's no, the ball is catching it for like, they have to catch these passes because of where the ball is located. So I think if you just think about what it takes to be successful for a quarterback, arm strength, accuracy, anticipation, and then that's just before we get into his mobility. It's, it's going to be very hard for fields to fail in the NFL. And that exactly. go and that goes beyond, you know, his leadership, you know, all the intangibles that you can't help but think that, you know, his competitiveness will take over. So uh, what, let me let me ask you this as far as um, <clears throat> what would scare you about fields? Like, is there anything about his game that would necessarily scare you as an evaluator? No, I mean, he's pretty complete, you know, and completely removing the bias of me working for uh, working for Cleveland.com and being up close and personal with Ohio State from like a film analysis perspective. You can turn on anybody can turn on the tape if they want. I mean, you can watch them against their best competition, even against Alabama. Obviously, the game got away from them. But if you watch while the game was still in contest before their defense fell apart, a lot of the, a lot of the plays that were made that kept them in the game were all off of Fields' arm, you know, and he showed a lot of things in that game that Ohio State had not done throughout the year as far as getting the tight ends, being able to throw the ball in the seam, um, using his legs when it was needed, you know. So I don't see any, like, real holes that you can put a magnifying glass on and saying, okay, if we, if we want to look at how to break Justin Fields, that's the way. Um, and then kind of circle back to what you're saying when it comes to like specific team fit and why I've been laughing at this Mac Jones to 49ers thing. Like if Kyle, if Kyle Shanahan was in a science lab trying to build a quarterback for his offense, this is it guys speed on bootleg. So he becomes a running threat off of yeah. all of their outside zone stuff, not to mention, you know, what he can do hitting tight ends on over routes, hitting their speed guys when they do try to take their shots. And as you mentioned, one thing you'll never have to worry about is Shanahan having an answer for pressure. If there's anything that, that I can guarantee please, for please you, blitz there him. will be, there will be answers for anybody who wants to blitz this guy. Um, you know, and he has experience working in 12 personnel. He has experience working in 11 personnel. He's good, you know, in all these different personnel groups, being under center is not going to be an issue for him. It opens up something that Shanahan hasn't had, which is an athlete at quarterback. And we know what the offense looked like with his dad the last time they had an athlete at quarterback. So wasn't bad. You know, I'm not concerned at all about his professional prospects. No, not at all. And there's there's no there's no real reason for you to be just because we've we've had a chance to see him fight through adversity. And I feel like that more than anything should give us a clue that he's going to be very successful. So people often bring up Northwestern and Indiana. 
Fields bounced back in both of them. Like, why is that part always left out? The part where mm-hmm. he came back or the part where he made plays to keep his team in the game. So it's always something with Fields. But um, it, the, the truth never comes out with him. So um, do you have an ideal fit for Fields? Like, is there one team – like, you don't – it doesn't have to be uh, under Shanahan. But is there a team that you would like to see him go to where he could reach his full potential? I mean, I've been stuck – I have – Prior to the trade, I was stuck on fields to San Francisco before then. I just figured the fit made too much sense. I had a feeling that if, at least if I were Kyle Shanahan, I would have been looking at the roster situation. Like, I think we have all the pieces we need if we're healthy. We maybe just need to make an upgrade at the quarterback spot, um, you know, before this roster gets expensive, especially if we can get a young, talented quarterback. Um, So that's kind of where I've been locked in at with him from, from the jump, you know. I wouldn't have hated him going to Jacksonville. I mean, obviously the issue with him is the same issue it's been from the time he was 16 years old. And that's that he's sharing the stage with Trevor Lawrence, you know, other than that, I mean, I've talked with uh, Nate Tice, who is a a good friend of mine, you know, and we've been going back and forth with this all, all uh, off season long, which is that Justin Fields in any other draft is round one, pick one as a quarterback in almost any other draft, you can take it from here all the way back to 2000. And there's maybe a handful of drafts where he would not be the first overall picks. Um, so that's the kind of talent we're talking about. There's no doubt with me, any team fit wise, scheme fit wise, I would have loved for him to be a Philadelphia Eagle. It would have made me feel pretty good you know, before we traded out of that pick. But yeah, no matter where he's at, he'll thrive. And I've been locked into the San Francisco thing from the beginning. Yeah, that's going to make a lot of 49ers fans happy to hear because. He is a superb talent. I, I don't know why that is so hard to admit or why that is so tough for people to grasp. Because, as we mentioned, every step of the way, he's been that guy. Just because Trevor Lawrence, who is also a unicorn, does not mean we have to take away from Fields. Exactly. So, um, now, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. I know you're a busy guy. Deontay, is there anything you want to plug that you're working on? Um, so I'm working on a piece about Texas Longhorns, so college football thing. I want to kind of go over their staff and what we can expect from them from a style of play-wise. NFL-specific, though, and this is something I'm really excited about, um, and this actually relates to uh, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to do a study on all the best opening script coaches. So, you know, we hear all the time, anecdotally, Andy Reid's a killer coming off of bye weeks. You know, he's always a killer with opening scripts and things like that. The Shanahan tree is also uh, famed for being very good with their opening scripts. All these West Coast guys are usually pretty good with it. But I wanted to look at the data and the film to see if there are any real trends as to what separates them from the rest of the competition in the league. Yeah, right away when you said that, Stefanski came to mind, and I'm, I imagine he's going to be high on that list. Absolutely. So, um, no, I appreciate you taking the time. As always, please rate, subscribe, review, wherever it is you get your podcast. Justin Fields to the 49ers, MVP from Deontay. You heard it here first. <laughs> Thank you, and go Niners.